Welcome to the CBTA podcast. On October 21st, we recorded a video dialogue with Jody Pfeiffer, Kara Gaynor, and Justin Elliott on the topic of PT advocacy for both PTs and PTAs. Here's that discussion. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our APTA live event. My name is Jody Pfeiffer, and I'm a physical therapist assistant up here in Alaska, currently serving as one of your PTA caucus delegates. Tonight, we'll be talking about issues facing the physical therapy profession with our focus on proposed Medicare payment cuts and why speaking up and speaking out is so important. I'm here today with Justin Elliott, Vice President of APTA Government Affairs, and Kara Gaynor, Director of APTA Regulatory Affairs. Thank you both for being willing to be here with us today. Justin and Kara, can you tell us a little bit about what you do with APTA? Sure. Thanks, Jody. Uh, uh, thanks for having us on tonight. It's great to be here with you. My name is uh, Justin Elliott. I'm the, the Vice President of Government Affairs uh, at APTA. So in my role at APTA, uh, really focus on the work that we do aimed at Capitol Hill uh, with the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House, and of course, how we engage uh, our members uh, through grassroots and through our political action committee uh, to advance APTA's policy agenda. And I'm Kara Gaynor, APTA's Director of Regulatory Affairs, and I lead a team of regulatory affairs professionals uh, to represent and promote the physical therapy profession before federal agencies like the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CDC, the VA, Department of Defense, and many others, uh, as well as other national policy stakeholders uh, on a wide range of topics, including coverage, payment, coding, billing, uh, and other policy issues that impact uh, the entire continuum of care. Great, thank you. So we've heard a lot about CMS and Medicare cuts regarding E&M codes. Can you tell us what these are and how they affect us? Sure, yeah, I'll start um, and then I'll turn it over to Justin. Uh, and before I really go into the details, I do want to just start off by saying that the physician fee schedule under which these cuts have been proposed uh, was developed in 1992, and it's an inherently outdated payment system, um, and it really doesn't reflect the modern uh, healthcare delivery system in which healthcare professionals like PTAs are working collaboratively with other healthcare professionals. And so when policy proposals like this cut are put forward and it simply is building off of a flawed payment system, APTA and the entire physical therapy profession, as well as our patients, need to use our collective voice to educate and inform CMS or whoever the decision maker may be about the impact of these policies, which in turn can influence change. So in terms of the 9% cut, uh, I know there's been a lot of confusion about where this cut actually came from, why CMS is proposing it, so first I'll just uh, start off that discussion by saying um, there are annual updates to the RVUs of the CPT codes that are included in the physician fee schedule. And these updates are based off of recommendations that come from the AMA's RVS update committee or the AMA RUC. And those recommendations are based off of survey data that the AMA and other national uh, specialty societies, including ABTA, collect. And those recommendations are transmitted by the AMA to CMS. 
CMS evaluates those recommendations and decides whether they want to adopt those recommendations, um, increase the values, decrease the values, uh, they are the final decision maker. And so when the fee schedule is proposed and published uh, in the Federal Register every summer, they are uh, publishing the proposed values for that upcoming calendar year for the various CPT codes. So if you recall, it was actually last year, CMS had released the 2020 fee schedule proposed rule at the end of July. And um, the and CMS had proposed the values that they were planning to assign to the office outpatient evaluation and management visit code set and the recommendation and the proposed values for actually 2021 they were delaying it a year uh, were based off of the recommendations that they had received from the AMA um, in addition CMS proposed it was not something that the AMA had put forward but CMS on their own uh, proposed to adopt an additional code, uh, an add-on code that was designed to address the additional resources that they feel are inherent in visits for primary care. And so what this resulted in that we saw in last year's rule, and obviously again reiterated in this year's rule, was uh, a proposal to significantly increase reimbursement for this code set that are billed primarily by primary care physicians and some other specialty physicians, in addition to this add-on code that would be billed by providers who bill E&M codes. Um, but because of a policy called budget neutrality, which I'll talk about in a second, you saw those core, you saw corresponding decreases of varying amounts for about three, do three dozen different healthcare providers, including physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech-language pathology. And last year, CMS had estimated that the cuts needed to offset the increases to the E&M codes, as well as the add-on code, uh, would be about 8%. And at the time, obviously, when we saw that policy included in the rule, we knew that there was obviously going to be a lot of advocacy to stop CMS from uh, finalizing this policy to take effect on January 1, 2021. So in terms of just budget neutrality, because I know I know this is a long <laughs> overview, but I just wanna make sure that the audience knows there's a lot um, that goes into this. Uh, so the, the statute requires CMS to maintain budget neutrality in the fee schedule. And so that means that changes to the uh, RVUs can't increase or decrease expenditures uh, for each year by more than $20 million over what they would have been. And so because the increases are so significant to the office outpatient evaluation and management visit code set, in addition to the add-on code, that's why we're seeing such significant decreases because uh, to other providers who don't bill those codes because CMS has to maintain budget neutrality, meaning they had to cut payment elsewhere to uh, make room essentially for the increases to uh, the E&M codes. And I wanna emphasize that we do not oppose the increases to the E&M codes. Uh, we understand the rationale behind the increases to those codes. It's been a policy goal of CMS, the Medicare Payment Advisory Commission and others to uh, revalue these codes for quite some time. Uh, but obviously the increases are so significant and because of the budget neutrality requirement, it clearly hurts a lot of other healthcare providers. So CMS um, in this year's rule 
uh, had proposed to, you know, continue the policy that they had said they wanted to implement in 2021 in last year's rule. And so in this year's rule that came out in early August, the fee schedule proposed rule for 2021, CMS proposed uh, to maintain budget neutrality by reducing the conversion factor. Um, and the conversion factor is used to uh, calculate the payment for uh, codes once the codes RVUs and geographic factors are calculated. Essentially, it's the it's the the number that is used to formulate payment rates each year for each CPT code. And so in this year's rule, CMS said that to maintain budget neutrality under this policy, they would be reducing the conversion factor by almost 11 percent. And so that obviously has a significant impact on all providers who bill under the fee schedule. Um, and the overall impact does vary by specialty because it will vary based on the value of the codes of the RVUs of each code and whether the RVUs are increasing or actually decreasing because that is separate from this conversion factor adjustment. And in fact, CMS is proposing to significantly increase the values of PT evals and re-evals. Um, however, because the conversion factor reduction is so significant, you still see that overall estimate of a negative amount. Uh, so, so that's, that's kind of what led to CMS saying in this year's rule, we're reducing the conversion factor by almost 11%. The estimated, uh, cuts to three, three dozen providers are varying amounts. As we know, CMS estimated it would be a 9% cut to PTOT and speech, uh, which is obviously even, uh, worse than last year. Uh, so, I want to emphasize, and I'll turn over to Justin in a minute, but since this policy was initially proposed last summer and then again included in this year's fee schedule rule for implementation in 2021, we knew that we have we had to stop this policy from being implemented. And so we have uh, we had we launched and we continue to engage in a legislative regulatory and communication strategy and have really been fighting this policy since it was proposed last year, last summer. Um, and just to give you a sense of some of the advocacy, the regulatory advocacy, which is directed to CMS and other federal agencies, since last summer, uh, we not only submitted comments on last year's rule opposing um, the cut, we also met with CMS along with the other therapy associations to discuss the cuts and our concerns with the you know, expected cuts we also did a uh, letter writing campaign and thousands of PTs, PTAs, students and patients did submit comments on last year's rule opposing the cuts. Um, then once we saw that CMS uh, indicated in the final rule published on November 1st of last year, that they were going to be moving forward with this policy. We then proceeded to meet with HHS leadership, uh, CMS staff who are responsible for this policy. We formed a coalition that submitted uh, correspondence on behalf of the coalition to CMS, outlining the concerns with the cuts and offering recommendations on ways to get around the cuts, mitigate the cuts, get rid of the cuts. Um, we also sent our own correspondence to CMS uh, earlier this year. And we also sent a letter to the Medicare Payment Advisory Commission um, outlining our concerns with the cuts and why we felt they needed to uh, engage with CMS on this issue. Uh, given the impact of the negative cuts on PT and many other providers. 
And then we also met with uh, the Office of Management and Budget, which is an agency or an office within the White House that has to review every rule before it's published. Uh, we met with them earlier this summer. And then actually on this rule, this year's rule that was published in August, ABTA submitted two comment letters, a 23-page letter and then a 55-page letter, uh, both outlining uh, the concerns with the cuts and offering recommendations on ways to mitigate or eliminate the cut. Uh, we did a huge letter writing campaign, which I'm so proud of. Uh, we had almost 20, we had more than 25,000 letters sent from the profession and patients and supporters. And actually, I think that number is closer to 30,000, if not over 30,000. And actually, that's out of a total uh, 45,000 comments sent to CMS. So the PT profession really dominated uh, the comment letter uh, writing, the writing process to submit letters to CMS opposing the cuts. Uh, and then we did actually meet with CMS leadership uh, during the open comment period. And then we also, which is something that I don't know that any other association actually did, because of the implications that the Medicare cut has on other uh, government programs like the TRICARE and the VA community care program, and then obviously implications with commercial insurance, we actually reached out to the VA and the Department of Defense, which administers TRICARE, uh, to basically let them know that this was coming and that this, this was going to impact access to their enrollees and their veterans um, should this be implemented. And so uh, we do know that the VA ended up talking about this and we theoretically, I, I think, well, I'm not sure. We hoped that they would basically reach out to CMS and HHS and say, hey, we're concerned about how this will impact access. Because obviously hearing from other federal agencies about concerns with the cuts really does go a, a long way and would really support our messaging to the agency. Um, so that kind of gives you a sense of where this policy came from, what kind of the regulatory advocacy has uh, been done over the last year, uh, but now I'll turn it over to Justin uh, because there's been a lot of activity on the Hill over the last year. All right, well, thanks, Kara. And you know, you know, as Kara outlined, it's just been a tremendous advocacy effort uh, by uh, PTAs, uh, APTA members, patients, uh, our colleagues and friends uh, to really make some noise on this policy, both with the federal agency, CMS, uh, but also with Capitol Hill. Um, we know that this policy is scheduled to go into effect on January 1st. Uh, the clock is ticking. And so while we've also, while we've done a very robust uh, advocacy uh, campaign aimed at uh, CMS and at Medicare, we've also have been engaging with Capitol Hill, with members of the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House, because we want Congress to intervene. Uh, we want them to step in and, and fix this uh, uh, proposal and basically stop the cuts uh, from, uh, uh, from happening because, as folks watching know, uh, this is going to have a huge impact on the PTPTA team. Uh, it's going to have a huge impact on uh, therapy clinics, particularly in rural and underserved areas, and that's going to impact patient access um, and the ability of patients to get the care uh, that they need. And so, uh, while we've also been working not just by ourselves, but again, as Kara mentioned, we are part of a coalition. Other 37 other provider groups are slated for deep cuts, radiologists, pathologists, orthopedic surgeons, um, you name it. And so we're working both alone, but also in partnership with other providers to, again, raise this issue on Capitol Hill. And thanks again to the advocacy that many of you watching have done. Uh, Congress has taken notice. Um, and so over the past year, you know, along with the APTA staff and uh, our, our federal affairs liaisons, those members who are 
uh, engaged in advocacy. Uh, we've done something like over 300 meetings uh, with members of the, uh, of the Congress ever just since March 1st uh, on this issue. Um, we've had over 100,000 emails and letters uh, generated uh, by members, uh, by patients, uh, aimed at Capitol Hill, again, urging Congress to intervene um, and to uh, you know, stop these cuts from happening. We've had members of the U.S. House come together in bipartisan fashion uh, to write letters uh, both to CMS. We had a letter about three weeks ago that was signed by 161 members of the U.S. House, Republicans and Democrats, coming together to write to the Secretary of HHS and to CMS, basically saying, you really need to rethink this proposal because the cuts are, are going to be devastating. And then earlier just this week, we had uh, 200 and 29, again, bipartisan members of the U.S. House sent a letter to Speaker Pelosi and Leader McCarthy basically saying it's time for the U.S. House to intervene. We've got to do something legislatively uh, to stop these cuts from happening. So we anticipate that Congress will take legislative action. We are optimistic uh, that they will take action before the end of this year uh, and that, they, that will either delay or prevent these cuts uh, from happening. And that's where you come into play because uh, it's really uh, the PTAs and, and patients and members and students who are raising their voice, whether it's through emails or phone calls, participating in Zoom meetings with their legislators, uh, social media, uh, that has been critical in making sure that members uh, of Congress are aware of this issue and know that they have to act because we need them to act. Because again, this is something that's going to impact uh, PTAs and PTs, the PTPTA team. It's going to impact our patients. But it's also going to have a dramatic effect on the entire U.S. healthcare system, given that 37 other providers are also impacted. So thanks to everyone who's been participating uh, in our calls to actions. Uh, we have a we have a, a, a just a few short weeks to get something passed through the Congress. So stay tuned for more action alerts and uh, appreciate all the support that you all have been uh, providing during this advocacy effort. Okay, I want to remind everybody watching, if you have any questions, please type them in the chat and we'll try and get those answered. Um, so what I'm hearing, guys, is this is something that affects all of us, just our profession as a whole, PTs and PTAs. It's not directed in one area or the other. And we really need to work together on this. We will watch for those action um, alerts to come out and definitely participate with those. Is there anything else we should be doing in the meantime? Well, I think, you know, first is just to stay uh, tuned to all the information uh, that and resources uh, that we have available. If you go to APTA.org forward slash fight the cut, we have a lot of background information and information and resources, uh, not only for PTs and PTAs to utilize, but for patients. And it's important to just keep up to date as to what's going on, because uh, we anticipate that there's going to be a flurry of activity um, during what we call the lame duck session. Uh, Congress right now is out. Um, they're going to come back after the election, and that's when things are going to be picking up real quick. So it's important to, to stay informed, see the resources, but also tell your, your colleagues, tell your patients, tell your neighbors, tell your friends. This is something that impacts everybody. And the folks who are going to be the one raising the alarm are the folks watching this, the PTAs who are, are, who are, who are going to see this uh, firsthand. And so I think the biggest thing is just spread the word and let folks know about what is, is going on uh, with this Medicare proposal. Okay, great. Another hot topic that we're having a lot of questions about is telehealth. 
can you tell us what has changed regarding telehealth? Carrie, you want to take a first stab and I'll tell them what's on the, on the horizon? Yeah, sure. Uh, so as we know, uh, during the public health emergency, during the time when the secretary of HHS, Secretary Azar, has declared a public health emergency and there has been a national emergency declared by the president, CMS has a, a ton of flexibility to issue waivers and give uh, and waive various regulations and policies to allow providers uh, to furnish care and not be burdened by the public health emergency and the current and the usual uh, regulations governing them. And so telehealth is one area where, uh, due to advocacy, actually, Congress did give CMS the statutory authority to waive some of the uh, all of the regulatory uh, requirements related to telehealth uh, back in uh, March. And then CMS didn't have to, but they chose to use that authority granted to them by Congress by recognizing physical therapists in private practice, physical therapist assistants in private practice, and then facility-based therapy providers as eligible to furnish and bill telehealth under Medicare. And I do want to point out that that doesn't necessarily mean that CMS would have used that authority. They, granted, they did realize that their Medicare patients needed healthcare and telehealth was really the only option. Um, so it likely would have happened, but I do want to emphasize that um, there were thousands of uh, emails sent to CMS during the time frame after which Congress had given them the authority, urging CMS to take advantage of that authority. And um, I actually had spoken with uh, one of the CMS regional office uh, leaders during that time period. And basically he said, we're, we're, we know, we know you, we know you guys want this. We're working on it. You know, give us some time. So I, I just want to emphasize, I share that because I just want to emphasize that your voices matter. They count. They get attention. Um, so I did just want to share that. So where we're at right now is, um, those providers that I just mentioned can furnish and build telehealth under Medicare. Um, also under Medicare during the public health emergency, uh, there is uh, permitted, obviously we know PTAs in private practice are subject to the direct supervision requirement under Medicare, even if state law has a different requirement uh, that is more flexible. Um, CMS has said during the public health emergency that direct supervision can be um, accomplished uh, and can, through technical means, through audio and visual technology, uh, when that's necessary to reduce exposure risk for the beneficiary or provider. And so it doesn't even mean that the PT has to be on the phone or video, but they have to be readily available via phone or video, uh, just as they would be readily available in the office suite when directly supervising the PTA. So that is uh, a flexibility that's been afforded to PTAs as well as PTs in the private practice setting. And on that point, I will note that um, APTA has been advocating for quite some time that CMS allowed general supervision of PTAs, given that that is more aligned with uh, state law. And um, we're hopeful that CMS will see that it makes sense to align with state law. Is that something they're doing in, in more and more policies uh, that they roll out? They are trying to align their requirements more with state law where it would make more sense to align with state law. So um, it's very possible that CMS will make that policy change in the near future, which we're very hopeful for. Um, but so that's kind of where we're at. We're in a holding pattern. As long as that public health emergency, those two declarations are in existence, 
telehealth under Medicare is allowed, but we obviously want a permanent fix, and that's where Justin comes in. Yeah, so you know what's interesting about uh, what's happened over the last several months with the declared public health emergency. You know, there are two issues uh, that we've been fighting for. One is the use of telehealth uh, by PTAs and PTs under Medicare, and the issue, as Kara mentioned, was also providing more flexibility on the supervision requirements uh, for private practice uh, under Medicare. And so, you know, we, we're looking at ways that you know, even though these uh, flexibilities are allowed during the public emergency how can we make some of these permanent? Because these are issues that are critical to PTAs. These are issues that are critical to patients. Now on the telehealth issue, I will tell you that um, we anticipate legislation being introduced hopefully next week um, that will basically make permanent uh, the current flexibilities allowed for physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech, and audiology. And this will be a bill that will, if enacted, basically would amend the Medicare statute to say yes, for Medicare, you can do PTOT speech and audiology and get reimbursed for it. And that would include, you know, for PTs and PTAs. Now, the question is, we need to get that uh, uh, enacted by Congress before the public health emergency is declared over. We don't anticipate that the public health emergency is going to be declared over anytime soon, or at least it shouldn't be, um, because I think everyone in public health agrees that uh, this is something that the, needs to stay in place for the foreseeable future uh, given the ability uh, of the current COVID uh, pandemic. So we anticipate that the current flexibilities will be allowed uh, during uh, as, as a result of the public health emergency. But that gives us, good news is that gives us more time for us to uh, lobby Congress to get them to pass this bill. That we, again, we anticipate will be introduced next week. There will there'll be an action alert asking folks to uh, contact their member of Congress uh, to get that passed. And so that will be critical <clears throat> to making sure we uh, keep uh, the flexibilities that we've been allowed to do under under the emergency. So stay tuned uh, for that. That's going to be a, a big step forward for us. <clears throat> Great. Thank you. Well, that's very exciting. We will definitely watch for that action alert and be prepared to move forward on it when we get it. Um, we do have a question from Nicole in Texas. She would like to know where we can find the list of the providers that um, will be affected by the cut. Uh, yeah, it, it actually is in the 2021 fee schedule proposed rule. Um, and I think we can provide the link and the page number in the comments section. Um, and so it's actually, it's, if, if you can find the link, um, it's in table 90. And so it lists all of the providers and it lists, uh, total impact for each specialty. And so it, it spans two pages about, it's about a chart of about one and a half, um, pages and it's labeled, uh, calendar year 2021, uh, physician fee schedule estimated impact on total allowed charges by specialty. And CMS does emphasize that it is an estimate. Um, and obviously a lot can change between the proposed and final rule, which, you know, we're obviously hoping um, that our advocacy has uh, pushed CMS to reconsider what they've proposed in the proposed rule. Yeah. And if we're, if we're not able to get that link into the comment section, you can always, Nicole, email advocacy at APTA.org. We have that chart in a little PDF that we can email to you directly. Great. So anyone else, you have that same question, you want to see that chart, send that email. All right. Can you guys give us an update on PDPM and PDGM? Has there been any changes that we need to know about? 
So I'll, I'll start just in terms of policy changes uh, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, CMS really didn't uh, make many changes uh, to either the SNF patient-driven payment model or the home health patient-driven groupings model. And actually we're still waiting on the home health final rule for uh, 2021, but what they proposed was very minimal changes um, under the home health payment system. Uh, and it's it's because of the COVID-19 pandemic and uh, CMS hasn't been able to collect enough data to analyze um, utilization patterns or outcomes. And so I think that it, it will be probably, uh, I don't even know if CMS would propose any changes for fiscal year 2022 or calendar year 2022, given um, how COVID has impacted data collection and data analysis. Uh, but I will say that on the topic of those payment models, we are uh, continually engaged in conversations with the CMS staff who developed those payment models to talk about um, access concerns, access to physical therapy under both of those models, um, recognizing that, um, you know, PDPM was implemented, there were obviously a lot of concerns, and then the pandemic hit. And then at the same time, PDGM was just implemented. CMS had to publish an article in early February outlining the role of therapy in uh, home health under the payment model, uh, reminding everyone that there is continually continuing to be a role for therapy and that has not changed uh, simply because the payment model changed. So we recognize that COVID has obviously dominated uh, what's going on, but recognizing there are those still underlying concerns with both of those payment models and recognizing that and recognizing that while the physical therapy profession might be educated and aware of these models, others may not be. And so we did with the other therapy associations um, do some education and outreach to a number of the um, other, uh, to a number of the physician groups um, that oftentimes refer patients to home health or skilled nursing facilities, as well as um, we disseminated resources to consumers regarding these payment models uh, so that they understand their rights and benefits. And uh, we do have those resources on the Choose PT website. So, so I guess, although CMS has not been proposing any changes, they do continue to speak with us uh, because we are continuing to receive real-time feedback about uh, what's happening in these, in these settings and what we want CMS to know and consider as they consider making changes in the future. Yeah, and just, uh, you know, I think the big thing will be also, you know, ongoing oversight uh, by Congress and by CMS as to how these models uh, in home health and school, skilled nursing facilities uh, are working. You know, just to give you an example, um, uh, last winter, um, you know, when we were getting some stories and real life and case uh, studies that uh, PTAs and PTs were sending into us saying, you know, this is what I'm seeing, you know, that's important because CMS is watching. Um, and so is Congress. Uh, we were able to have a meeting uh, with the Senate Finance Committee um, so that we could talk to them and say, you know, this is what we're hearing from our members. We have these PTAs who are saying this is what they've seen. This is, you know, what we're, you know, this is real uh, some case examples as to how implementation isn't going the way it's supposed to. So I think, you know, the one message is that um, this is something that both CMS uh, and Capitol Hill is going to continue to watch. And so, if folks have real life examples as to how uh, the uh, rollout and the uh, application of these new payment models is not going as planned, that's important for us to know so that we can share that. Uh, with the folks who are going to be uh, doing the oversight of it. Great. Uh, we have a question from Leanne in Alaska, and she wanted to know if you could give a brief explanation about what PDPM and PDGM are. 
Yeah, sure. Uh, the Skilled Nursing Facility Patient-Driven Payment Model, or PDPM, um, is a payment model that was adopted by CMS uh, that went into effect October 1st, 2019. And really, it's a shift toward, it's a new payment model um, toward using a more patient-driven approach uh, to payment for uh, care delivered in skilled nursing facilities under Medicare Part A. And um, similarly, in home health, the patient-driven groupings model is, again, more patient-driven payment model where they're trying to better align payment with clinical characteristics. Um, and it's so they're similar in many ways, but still differ in many ways. And actually, I will note that it's important to keep in mind that these are temporary models. These are not going to be models that are here for um, a very long time, because in fact, Congress and CMS and the Medicare Payment Advisory Commission are all, have all been looking at developing a unified payment system that would span the four post-acute care settings, long-term care hospitals, inpatient rehab facilities, skilled nursing facilities, and home health agencies. And uh, so actually, the Medicare Payment Advisory Commission, which advises Congress on Medicare uh, policy issues, they have submitted reports to Congress about how a unified system could be developed. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services has actually convened a technical expert panel upon which APTA sits um, that is looking at how uh, they might develop a unified payment system and a template for such system. Um, and then those recommendations are going to be submitted to Congress for their consideration uh, but we do know that Congress is interested in, in uh, passing legislation that would require CMS to develop such a unified payment system. And so uh, we are involved in every one of those discussions. And, um, you know, we want to make sure that a unified payment system uh, truly captures the value of therapy across these settings, while also recognizing that patients have different needs and, and needs uh, uh, of different intensity of therapy. Um, and so making sure that those uh, characteristics are in fact accounted for in development of these of this new payment model. Okay, great. Thank you for answering that. Okay, we've also had some changes in maintenance therapy. Can you explain a little bit to us about what's changed with that? Sure, I'll start. Um, so as uh, you all know, uh, or as some of you may know, uh, beginning January 1st of, of this year, uh, CMS does now allow physical therapist assistance to furnish maintenance therapy in the home health setting um, when uh, furnished under a home health plan of care. And uh, this was to better align um, maintenance therapy uh, policy that is in the skilled nursing facility setting where PTAs are allowed to furnish maintenance therapy in that setting. Uh, however, I will note that during the public health emergency, CMS is temporarily allowing uh, PTAs to furnish maintenance therapy across outpatient settings under Medicare as well. And in fact, this is something that APTA has actually been advocating for for a couple of years now. And because of uh, our advocacy for this change and because CMS temporarily, temporarily allowed it, and in fact, we've been now supporting CMS uh, for that temporary change and urging them to make it permanent, CMS has proposed in the 2021 fee schedule proposed rule to permanently allow PTAs to furnish maintenance therapy across all outpatient settings. So, so there would no longer be this dichotomy of, okay, you can do maintenance therapy in this setting, but not in this setting. Um, it would all be the same policy for SNFs, home health agencies, and outpatient settings under Medicare Part B. Uh, so it's so we're hopeful that CMS finalizes that. We did obviously write in support in our comments 
urging CMS to finalize that policy. And if they do, it would take effect January 1 of 2021. All right, great. That would be very exciting for us. All right, we also had a big win in regards to TRICARE. Can you explain what is what has changed with TRICARE? Justin, do you, yeah. Here, I'll yeah, start please. off just to give a little bit of history. Yeah. So, you know, as folks know, this has been one of the, was one of the longest and, and, and probably one of the more frustrating battles we had because for a number of years, uh, we were working with a Department of Defense on the issue of, of the ability of, of PTAs to provide and, and be able to get paid for the services under TRICARE. Uh, and after a lot of back and forth with Pentagon, with DOD, on saying, well, of course, PTAs need to, their services need to be paid for. Um, you know, they basically, Department of Defense said, well, yes, but it's going to take an act of Congress to do that because uh, PTAs are not recognized uh, under the federal statute as authorized providers uh, of TRICARE. And so folks may remember a couple of years back, we had a big advocacy campaign. Again, a lot of folks who are watching were part of that and were critical in getting uh, that bill through the U.S. Congress, which amended federal statute and added physical therapist assistance uh, as authorized providers under the TRICARE program, which was a huge win. Uh, and again, a great advocacy effort uh, by uh, all of PTAs across the country. I think what was, uh, you know, after the bill got uh, signed into law by the president, uh, it then had to go through the regulatory process, which as folks know, is, can sometimes uh, be a long and, and, and challenging uh, timeline. Uh, but uh, after a lot of work, a lot, again, a lot of advocacy, um, those federal regulations uh, went into uh, effect. And uh, Kara um, can kind of talk a little bit about where we are now. But again, this was a great example of PTA advocacy, not only with getting that bill through Congress a couple of years back, but all of the comments and advocacy that PTAs did uh, during the regulatory process, which kind of got it over the finish line. So Kara, I'll let you uh, pick up from there. <laughs> Yeah, I'll just add that um, I, I do also want to emphasize that the comments submitted on the proposed rule where TRICARE was proposing to implement this in regulation, as some of you may recall or know, uh, TRICARE made some errors in their references to Medicare regulations and references to various language. Um, and so a key element of, of our comments were actually okay, TRICARE, you say that you want to mimic Medicare, but you need to make sure that your regulations actually reference the appropriate Medicare regulations. So uh, an element of the comments was not only making sure this was implemented, but also that uh, the regulations were correct. And um, so it did go into effect like April 16th of this year. And um, the TRICARE manual has been updated, the policy manual to reflect uh, the addition of PTAs and OTAs. And essentially, uh, TRICARE's requirements mimic Medicare, um, the you know, uh, supervision, uh, use of the new CQ and CO modifier, um, and things of that nature. So if you haven't seen it, um, check out the TRICARE policy manual. I can also provide a link in the comments. Um, and then also the contractors had to update their policies and handbooks um, to reflect the addition of PTAs and OTAs. So, um, I believe that both have done so. And, and actually, we haven't heard of any issues with claims processing um, or any sort of auditing issues. But if you do ever encounter an issue or a friend encounters an issue where TRICARE is denying a claim that was for services furnished by a PTA, please reach out to us and let us know because um, obviously their services are now covered. Uh, so yeah, huge win, huge effort. Um, it couldn't have happened without advocacy. 
Oh, definitely. I mean, that was a huge win for us as a profession, but really the big winners are our patients, right? Who are going to have improved access to care. So that is phenomenal. Um, we have one more question from Marissa, who wants to know if maintenance therapy um, that can be provided by PTAs is under um, Medicare A and B or just one? So, so currently the permanent policy currently in place is that PTAs can provide maintenance therapy under Medicare Part A in SNFs and home health agencies. Um, temporarily during the public health emergency, CMS is allowing PTAs to provide maintenance therapy under Part B. Um, now, CMS has proposed to make that policy change permanent. So uh, theoretically, if CMS finalizes it on January 1 and beyond, um, you would be able to furnish maintenance therapy under both A and B um, in home health agencies and skilled nursing facilities and private practices and other settings. Great, thank you. Well, we are coming to the end of our time, unfortunately. Do either of you have any final thoughts that you'd like to leave us with? Well, I'll start off, you know, I think, um, you know, I think membership matters, advocacy matters, and your voice uh, matters. Uh, policy makers, whether they're on Capitol Hill or CMS or HHS or Department of Defense, you know, they need to know what the role and value of physical therapy means. And every one of you watching has a story to tell, whether you work in a rural clinic or in an urban area or regardless of your practice setting, you see firsthand day to day the impact and value that you bring to the healthcare system and the change uh, that you make. And, you know, kind of like of APTA's vision statement of transforming society. You each have a role in transforming society and see the value of what you bring to the table on that. And that's important for policymakers to hear uh, because they're not gonna hear it from anyone else. They're not gonna hear it from other providers uh, and they need to hear it from us. Um, and so everyone here um, has a role in, in, in advocating for our patients. Um, and that's where membership matters, where APTA, being a member of APTA matters being involved, being an advocate, um, and raising your voice and making some noise, as I always like to say. And so it's critical uh, for you to, uh, to be involved and to be, uh, be an advocate uh, for your patients. And we've seen uh, the difference and that that can make, that being a change maker, what that can do to the healthcare system, whether it's adding uh, uh, PTAs as authorized providers uh, under TRICARE. At the state level, we have now have regulation of PTAs in every U.S. jurisdiction. I remember a couple years ago, back uh, when I started at APTA, we had states that did not regulate PTAs, where they were unlicensed and unregulated. But again, it was because of the voices and work and advocacy of members of our PTAs who pushed at the state level to get those bills through, and at the federal level, who pushed on, such, on all these critical uh, Medicare payment policies and TRICARE that we're able to make that change. And again, to really show the value uh, that physical therapy plays in the healthcare system and how physical therapy uh, transforms a life. So, you know, again, thank you for your advocacy. Thank you for being members because it really matters and uh, we couldn't do what we do without you. And Justin, that was very well said. I'll just add, <laughs> there is a never ending need on the part of APTA and our members to proactively advocate for the payment and policy changes that truly recognize the value of physical therapy. However, at the same time, 
we also have to continually advocate against policies that will harm the profession and the patients they treat. And so we need everyone to lend their voice to these efforts, both the proactive effort as well as advocating against um, any harmful policies that may be proposed by policymakers. And as Justin noted, your voice is really what counts and is really what can influence these decision makers in whether they change a policy or not. They want to know, does this policy impact you, the clinician and the patients you treat? And it's your story that is influential. Um, and so I just want to emphasize again, and I, I, I'm on Twitter if you want to follow me at Kara Gaynor, but in a lot of my tweets, I try to emphasize your voice matters and you have a lot of power with just your voice and you can do a lot with it. So I just wanted to end with that. Great. Thank you both so much for being here. We would definitely like to invite you back for the future to maybe talk about more upcoming things and the looming payment differential, the keep everybody updated and on the same page is what we can do to help fight that. Well, thank you so much and everyone stay safe. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us tonight. And if you have any more questions that we didn't get answered tonight, you can email at advocacy at APTA.org, and we can definitely get those questions answered for you. Thanks so much, and we will see you again soon. APTA podcasts like this one are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting APTA.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening.